New Year, new sermon series. Although it seems like about every uh, four to six to eight weeks you're getting a new sermon series, so nothing really new. The title of this sermon series is This Is My Son. And it begins a five-part series um, that's going to be bookended um, by God the Father's words that were spoken to Jesus um, at his baptism and to Jesus at the transfiguration. In today's lesson following Jesus' baptism, as he's coming up out of the water, God the Father says, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And in the other gospel accounts, it says, This is my son, whom I love. With you am I well pleased. And in our final sermon in this series, God the Father is going to say, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And in between the first and the last sermons, we're going to consider how the Son of God provides, how he has authority, and how he always does the right thing. He loves others, even when the religious rules say not everyone deserves to be loved. Speaking of rules, I think that's probably where I would like to begin teaching today as we consider our own understanding of baptism in light of the biblical narrative and the Father being well-pleased with Jesus. So let's begin with a brief discussion about everybody's favorite thing, rules. You can, you can't, you can, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can. You know, I have been astounded. Now that I have a young adult child and one that's a junior in high school, I have been astounded over the years. Uh, by some of the things my children have been taught in school. And most of what they have learned, I've been totally on board with, though I really struggled with the insanity of common core math. If you know, you know. A few years ago, I informed my children of a really great rule that I remember from my childhood. I before E, except after C. Huh? Oh, boy, that's a good one, right? And when I shared this rule with them, they looked at me, as they've continued to look at me for years, as though I was speaking a foreign language to them. They had never been taught this rule. And perhaps this next slide will illuminate why this rule is no longer taught. I before E, except when your foreign neighbor Keith receives eight counterfeit beige sleighs from feisty caffeinated weightlifters. Weird. I before E. I suppose uh, the rules of this I before E mnemonic don't always apply, but it's nonetheless a helpful guide that I wish was still taught if for no other reason than nostalgia's sake. And I'm becoming more nostalgic, as well as losing hair and graying. Well, that's a different time. I think most rules like I before E are meant to be helpful, right? Rules serve as a guide to helping people be in relationships, relationships with self and others, society, nature, why even God. But in a fallen world, sometimes rules are used as weapons. This is especially true when it comes to people's relationships with God. Sometimes the rules become so perverted that there's no love. Only rules. 
And the same, of course, may be said of laws. Laws are the legal versions of rules. Consider the nation of Israel as an example. God gave the law on Mount Sinai to Moses. From the Ten Commandments sprang 613 additional laws to help the Israelites in matters of worship, moral conduct, and civil interaction. And all these laws, all of them are summed up in what is referred to as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second Jesus says is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Somewhere along the way, the law of God became perverted. A religion, bless you, a religion of rules was created to replace a relationship with God. Rules created more rules, which replaced and reinterpreted the laws of God. And the result, the love of God and neighbor grew cold as love became replaced by a strict adherence to the rules. And that's the context, friends, that we find ourselves in at the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mark's gospel immediately introduces us to a man by the name of John the Baptist who really didn't follow the conventional rules. Let's consider John the Baptist at a glance. I threw up there some some locusts for you, just for good measure. See, John wore clothes that were made of camel's hair, and his diet was a steady diet of locusts and wild honey. Mm -hmm. John hung out in the desert by a river and waited for people to come to him so he could put them under the water. You know, at first glance, we might consider John the Baptist to be, in the words of Barney Fife from the Andy Griffith Show, a nut. But in reality, he was the final prophet to the nation of Israel, and his message was an uncompromising one. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so... John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sin, and they were baptized in the Jordan River. Now here's what's interesting about that, friends. Baptism was a rite of passage for a Gentile converting to Judaism. In other words, Jews were not baptized. Gentile converts to Judaism would baptize themselves with water as part of the process of becoming a Jew. But here, John is using something familiar to introduce something brand new. The Jewish people came to the Jordan River not to follow more rules, but to confess their sin. To confess that something wasn't right with their soul. That no matter how many rules they were following, or how diligently they practiced their religion, there was still a gaping hole in their soul. So they came. They came because something wasn't right with God. And by grace, they wanted to be made right with God, even though they didn't understand fully yet the concept of grace. Mark writes, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem. To what were all of these Jews converting? Everybody and their mama was coming out to the eccentric man in the desert because worshiping the rules wasn't working. 
John the Baptist was an agent of God's grace, preparing hearts for a right relationship with God, a relationship not dependent upon rule following, but upon following the only Son of God and receiving His Holy Spirit. Now, and if you've tuned out, tune back in. It is important for our understanding of baptism that we notice the order of events that takes place in this story. Especially, friends, when other Christian traditions claim that a person must first be born again by the Spirit and then be baptized. Because see, other Christian traditions would say it's wrong to baptize infants. They would utter my least favorite phrase in the whole world, that's not biblical. You can make anything biblical or not biblical you want to. You can find a verse in there for it, I'm just saying. Yet in today's lesson, we see that water happens first, then the Spirit. At least according to the Bible. Maybe this is biblical. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John's baptizing of Jewish people in the Jordan River symbolized becoming clean from sin. It symbolized it. It would later come to symbolize death to self, death to self-interest, and a life that's born again of love and in God and neighbor. And one of you asked me a great question. If Jesus was the Son of God and never sinned, then why did he come to the river to be baptized among sinners? Well, it's a great question. Jesus' baptism was wholly different than everyone else's. See, Jesus was not baptized for the remission of sin. Later in Jesus' ministry, he would metaphorically speak of his death and resurrection in terms of communion and baptism. Jesus would say, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Just as Jesus would go under the earth in death and rise victorious in resurrection, so too did he enter the waters of baptism and rise up for our sake. You see, Jesus was baptized to receive his Father's salvation commission. And those who were there by the Jordan River that day bore witness to an audible voice of God the Father speaking to Jesus at that moment. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven came saying, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now God's voice had not been heard in Israel for at least 400 years. Now his divine communication resumes. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're all present at the baptism of Jesus Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So why is the Father well pleased with Jesus the Son? Because the Son is perfectly obedient to the Father's will. And it's the Father's will to showcase love, not rules, as the primary driver for his relationship with humanity. Jesus' baptism was the beginning of his ministry. It was the inauguration of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. A kingdom we are still realizing now through the grace of Jesus Christ. 
as we await his return. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they were all there in the waters of baptism, as were the people who came. People who were coming not in response to rules or religion, but in response to the grace of God. Now, I'm sure there was some Pharisee at the river's edge somewhere saying, well, that's not biblical. But Jesus did it. I was recently asked a question by a visitor about our United Methodist understanding of baptism. And look, when you all ask me questions, they're going to end up in a sermon because I love it. Are there Christian rules for baptism in the United Methodist Church? Only one. We baptize with water because that's what Jesus said to do. We have denominations or Christian traditions because the way that we baptize, though a matter of preference, has become for many a matter of doctrine. And of course, there's numerous debates all between the traditions between believers' baptism and infant baptism. And I could cite for you all of the different passages you could use to support either way. Why, even in the book of Acts, there's, there's two different ways it takes place um, within two chapters of one another. But I think maybe from the for what it's worth department, you probably just like to know that according to Jesus, according to Jesus, that's the next slide. Baptism begins the discipleship process. According to Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Clearly, the only essential rule for the Christian faith regarding baptism is that we do it. That's why United Methodists practice both infant baptism and believer's baptism. Or, to be less insulting, baptism for those who can speak for themselves and baptism for those who cannot yet speak for themselves. Because either baptism practice counts. My very first baptism as a pastor um, was in, does anybody know where New Freedom, Pennsylvania is? Yeah, don't worry about it. Uh, my very first baptism, twins. That was awesome. I did not have a clue as to what I was doing. You know, that was awesome, these twins, and they just, they slept through the whole thing. It was awesome. Again, the only child to ever fuss on me is my own. But I think my favorite baptism, I mean, my favorite baptism, I mean, I have a number. So I'm going to say one of my favorite baptisms was a lady by the name of Grace. I had come in contact with Grace when I did a funeral for her husband who got to come to know the Lord before he died. And after his death, Grace said, I want to be baptized. And so there... On a Sunday morning at Christ Community Sealings Grove, a little 88-year-old lady with a cane on oxygen came before the congregation and we said the vows and I got her hair wet. And it was a praise God moment. Both were praise God moments. Every baptism is a praise God moment. And either one counts. 
Because there's one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And friends, you need to know there's never a need to be re-baptized. To be re-baptized is to say God's grace didn't count the first go around. And if God's grace didn't count the first time, then God's grace never counted to begin with and he's not really God. You don't need to be re-baptized just because you don't remember it. We are baptized by water and the Spirit. Water is the outward sign of an inward grace. The Spirit is the person of the Trinity that's deposited into our souls that makes us alive. Because baptism doesn't save you, Jesus does. Okay? Remember the thief on the cross? He did not get baptized. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. But when we baptize in Jesus' name, friends, just like God is well pleased with the Son, so too is God well pleased with us because we are filling our commission. And certainly the grace of God is hovering over the waters of every baptism, but we are reborn through the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. So whether you, like me, were baptized as an infant and don't remember it, and I don't, and by the way, I hope you read this, this month's newsletter article. If you didn't, you ought to read it. Because a remarkable group of people that I don't remember made a covenant to love me. And they don't even know where I am or what I'm doing now. They were just part of a United Methodist connection that promised to raise me until I was old enough to decide for myself, yes, I want to follow Jesus. So maybe you're like me and you can't remember when you were baptized. Or you were baptized when you could speak for yourself. You remember that day. Whether you were baptized as an infant or adult or anywhere in between. I want you to know that today, today you are invited. You're invited to come again to the waters. To renew God's spirit within you. To remember your baptism and to be thankful in 2023. So I invite you now to join me in the reaffirmation of our baptismal covenant. The words will be on the screen, and then following that, you'll have the opportunity to come to the water. When you come to the water, you can uh, put out your hand. We can put water on your hand if you want. We can put it on your head. It's not a rebaptism; It's a remembrance. 